Lord's Day 5, part 2, Deliverance. We've been wallowing in sin for the past several weeks. We've been studying part 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which is on misery. And as we've been studying misery, part 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism, we have seen misery up close. Misery is up close. And we're familiar with misery. We're familiar with sin. We're, we're very intimate. Are we not intimate with suffering? Is suffering not a part of this age? But we don't belong to this age. Now, when I say we don't belong to this age, I'm not preaching tonight some form of escapism where we need to go out into the Bitterroot and build a holy, heavenly city, a heavenly commune. That's not going to happen, I hope. We're not pushed that far in that direction. <laughs> I don't think Heidelberg would allow us that direction. But it means, that we're not of this sad world, means we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we're only pilgrims on the way. We're only pilgrims on the way through the valleys of darkness. And there our great deliverer, our Savior, is guarding and guiding the way, whose rod and staff comfort me. Now, Lord's Day 5 eases us, eases us into this grace. But first, it does begin with judgment. Question 12 asks, according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both now and and in eternity. Now, when you see that question, you might think at first, hey, hey, hold on, aren't we in deliverance? <laughs> Isn't this grace? That sounds like misery. That sounds like chapter or part one of the Heidelberg. Well, the question's easing us into grace. The question begins with misery, punishment, and we deserve punishment, but it ends in grace. And the question begins in misery because we are sinners. We're born in sin. We've obeyed sin. We've loved sin. We have done only what is consistent with our nature, our fallen nature, and so we confess with Scripture that there is none righteous. None righteous, no, not one. None who understands, none. None who seeks for God, for all are dead in sins. Feudal-minded, dark-hearted, enemies of God with calloused hearts who are ignorant and dead. So left to ourselves in this condition, we have no hope. There's no pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Our boots are so firmly stuck in the muck and miry of misery. We have no way of pulling ourselves out. We have no way of escape. And hell is the place for all sinners. But there is hope. Question two. I'll ask the question and let us respond together. According to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both now and in eternity. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? Answer, God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of this justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. We can escape this punishment. And return to God's favor. But it's not going to be easy. For justice must be satisfied either by ourselves or another. But there's a problem. Question 13. I'll ask the question. Let us respond together. Can we make this payment ourselves? Answer. 
Certainly not. Actually, we increase our debt every day. It's bad news there. Certainly not. We cannot make the payment ourselves. We only increase our debt. That's bad news. And it gets worse. Question 14, I'll ask the question. Let us respond together. Can another creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? Answer, no. To begin with, God will not punish any other creature for what a human is guilty of. Furthermore, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. The law has shown us a holy God. And God's wrath is being revealed. It is an eternal wrath, the confession says. And no mere creature can handle the weight of this glory. As we talked about this morning, as we, we looked at the holiness of God, holiness is, is dangerous. Holiness is dangerous. Holiness kills. And there we find the wrath of God. Holiness means wrath. A wrath that will linger in hell as long as His holiness rises in glory. How, when, how will we then escape this wrath, this misery, this death? Pastor, do you have any good news for us? Can we move on now to section two and the doctrines of grace? Let's do that. Question 15. What kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then? Answer, one who is a true and righteous man, yet more powerful than all creatures. That is, one who is also true God. That's good news. Finally, after several weeks, we have good news. And the good news gets better. We are going to study this mediator. We're going to study the work of Christ. We're going to be studying the gospel and the Heidelberg Catechism for the next 27 weeks. Hallelujah. That's good news. And then after those 27 weeks, we're going to enter into part three, and that part is the fruits of grace, and that is gratitude, the Christian and his good works before the Lord. So we got gospel just saturated for the rest of Heidelberg. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be good. So let's jump right in and study this grace. Now, according to question 12, there are two ways of making satisfaction for sin. The question gives us, the answer gives us two ways. Two ways. Satisfaction for sin. We can either make the satisfaction ourselves, or we can look to another. Now, this question is very legal. It's speaking of God's justice, his judgment. It's speaking of satisfaction of God's requirements, his law. His justice must be paid in full. This is law. So question 12 concerns us with the law of God. And in this question, there is an appeal to the covenant of works. Now we know the covenant of works, the phrase is not used in Heidelberg, but it's in Heidelberg. If you remember when we first started studying Heidelberg uh, a month ago, right? Almost a month ago, basically a month ago, right? This is almost the end of the month. A month ago, when we, we began Lord's Day 1. Actually, it was actually in December we began. Uh, back in December, when we began studying this, we, we looked at Zacharias Ursinus, the chief architect of the Heidelberg Catechism, and, and we saw that he was called uh, to Heidelberg and giving a place in um, the University of Heidelberg there 
to uh, a call to lead the Reformation, uh, to further the Reformation in Germany as Germany was becoming more reformed. And the reason Zacharias Ursinus was called and established by the elector III, Frederick the Elector, because he was someone who was very Protestant, right? He had a great, he had a good background. He was, he was Lutheran where he needed to be Lutheran. He was Reformed where he needed to be Reformed and so forth. So there's, there's lots of Calvin in Heidelberg. There's, there's some Luther in Heidelberg. There is others. There's, there's lots of good Reformation, lots of good Protestant Reformation here. And you see here in this text, you see some good Lutheranism. It's, it's really the law-gospel distinction we see here. There's law, but there's also gospel. There's law, God's justice must be satisfied. God has demands. And that's the covenant of works. And God has made these uh, demands with Adam in the garden. And Adam must obey and, and keep these demands. We know Adam does not keep the demands. He falls, and, but the covenant of works remains. It, it doesn't go away. God still requires justice. He still demands righteousness, confirmation, holiness with Adam and his descendants. But that's a problem for us according to question 13 because we increase our debt every day and the wages of sin is what? Death. We get what is owed to us in the covenant of works because the covenant of works holds out two conditions, eternal life and depart from me, I never knew you. Right? And it must be satisfied, the demands of justice. But we also see an appeal to the covenant of grace here, either by ourselves, that's the covenant of works, or what? By another. That is, what the law of God requires, what the law of God requires, the gospel gives. You see, what the covenant of works demands, the covenant of grace gives. So the covenant of works says do, and the covenant of grace says believe. The covenant of work says do this and you can have eternal life. And the covenant of grace says believe this and life eternal. So there's an appeal here to a legal covenant. We see that appeal in texts such as Romans 8.3 where Paul writes, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in his flesh. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, that's question 13, that weakened by the flesh. That's question 13. Can we make this payment ourselves? No, we increase the debt daily. Our flesh is weak. We're only sinners. We could not do it. We cannot do it. But he's done something else. By sending his son, he's done grace. He's given mercy. In the likeness of our sinful flesh, God became man and condemned sin in the flesh. Philippians 3, 9, and we are found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, so we have a righteousness, but it's apart from the law. The righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. So the gospel reveals a mediator, and this is the covenant of grace. And here we see the two covenants juxtaposed. We have the need for merit. Salvation is legal. God's justice may be satis must be satisfied. And we have the merit of another. That's the gospel. 
So the gospel is satisfaction of the righteous requirements of the law. The gospel is the satisfaction of the righteous requirements of the law. This means what I am saying, I am saying clearly, we are saved by works. We are saved by works, but not our works. It's the works of the mediator. We are saved by Jesus Christ's work. And that's why Paul says in 10, Romans 10 that uh, we are free from the law of righteousness. The law for righteousness is, is dead to us, for we are right in Christ. We are saved by works righteousness, only not our own, but by another. This is the mediatorial role of Christ. Christ stood in our place condemned, and now we stand in his place righteous. Christ stood in our place condemned, and in his place by faith, we belong to Christ, and we are righteous. The law has brought sin and death. The gospel, now bring, the gospel now brings righteousness and life. The law brought despair. The gospel brings comfort. The law kills. The gospel makes alive. The law condemns. The gospel justifies. The law enslaves. The gospel frees. It redeems. The law-gospel distinction. Now, this is grace. God was not obligated to send his son to die for sinners. He was free to leave all men in death. God didn't have to save anyone. God would have been equally just to condemn Adam as he did in all his progeny from here on out. God would be just if everyone went to hell. God would be just if there was an eternal weight of hell bearing upon his wrath, bearing upon all people. He would be just. There'd be no injustice in God for everyone to go to hell. And for anyone to escape hell, that's his mercy. That's his grace. That's his love. And this means salvation is completely free. It's free from you having to worry, am I doing enough? Am I trying enough? Should I be doing more? You know what the question, the answer is, right? <laughs> Always. Better get busy. Better try harder. You're almost there. Nope, not even close. But grace is a gift which you cannot repay. You cannot lose. Paul says in Romans eleven thirty five, 35, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? You can't give God, like God has everything. What could you give to God? Look at these wonderful works, righteousness, Lord. He says, filthy rags. So it became necessary for God to save only because he decreed it. It became necessary for God to save because in the covenant of redemption, God decreed it. God decreed in eternity past that he would save his people. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless. There's the security of your salvation. He chose us. By love, he predestined us to adoption. It's love. It's not merit. It's not justice. In love, he predestined us to adoption. And because God has decreed it, it is secure. For Christ did not die in vain, for he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. 
So no matter your life now, your life tomorrow, your sins today, your sins yesterday, you are in Christ by faith, chosen before the foundation of the world, and there's your assurance, there's your hope, not in yourselves, not picking yourself up by your own bootstrap, trying harder, oh, I'm going to do better next time, Lord. Your resolve is if your resolve does anything before a holy God. But it's a promise. It's a plan. And it's grace. So in eternity past, the covenant redemption, Christ agreed to the Father's will, to which all the will of him who sent me passages of the gospel affirm. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 6. Now we'll begin the sermon. <laughs> just waking you up out there. I know some of you are getting scared. Oh, no, he's just beginning. I thought we're almost done. I didn't get any amens, you know. We're just beginning. I should have, Amen. I had a minister friend who went to Africa, or it was an African brother who was telling me, when you go to Africa, he said, when you come to Africa, bring all your sermons. And I said, okay. And he said, no, I mean, bring all your sermons. But I'm only going to be there one Sunday. Yeah. Bring all your sermons. <laughs> they have church all day. So a minister of my friend says, yeah, I got finished preaching. And they said, more. He preached another sermon. And they said, more. And he preached another sermon. He's like, all day. We preached all day. So there you go. John 6, 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. What a wonderful passage. All that the Father gives me, when did the Father give these to Christ before the foundation of the earth? And all that the Father gives to me, I will keep. I won't lose a soul. That's John 10, right? I will hold them by my hand. No one can get them from my hand. No one can get them from the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You're secure in your salvation. That's what Jesus is saying here in this text. Your salvation is completely held in the hands of God. It's not humanitarian. I need to do more, try more, go help my neighbor. It's gospel. Christ died for our sins. Christ came to fulfill God's will to save sinners. Matthew 9, 13, Jesus says, For I came not to call the righteous. I'm not looking for good people. I've come to call sinners. And Christ came to make us righteousness, righteous. Romans 4.25, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And in his death, in his death, our sins were forgiven. Now that's past tense. In Jesus' death, our sins were forgiven. When did he die? About 2,000 years ago. About 2,000 years ago, at the death of Christ on the cross, our sins were forgiven. But our faith today makes it presently true. And by believing in Christ at this very moment, those, that act on that cross is presently true for you the moment you first believed. So there is no more condemnation. No more ju judgment. Never say, I'm guilty. Now, you may feel sinner. Oh, I'm such a sinner. And definitely confess that. And, my, and you might as well go ahead and say, I'm chief of sinners. Believe you are chief of sinners, but never say, I am guilty. It's not true. No more condemnation. 
we are free from sins. If righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose, but it was for a reason. Now we'll start preaching. Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. Here's the reason for the cross. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There's that law of gospel distinction. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We are saved because Christ fully satisfied God's wrath. We are saved because Christ fully earned our righteousness. He is our holiness. We are saved because the Holy Spirit has sealed us to Christ. We are saved by God because we cannot make satisfaction for sins, but there is another. And we need that other. We're not saved by ourselves, and hopefully that's no secret in this church. If you don't know who you're saved by in this church, I need to get another job. (laughs) We are saved by Christ and him alone. We are saved by a mediator. It's not us because we daily increase our debt, as Heidelberg says. It can't be us. We daily increase our debt. It must be another. It must be a mediator a mediator of another kind. Now, when I say a mediator of another kind, I do mean he has to be our kind. He has to be mankind. For the covenant of works was made with Adam. Adam means what? Man, right? It needs to be a man who keeps the covenant of works. And I don't mean man as gender. I just mean humanity, man, person. Well, it does have to be man. Sorry, it does have to be man. Sorry, I'm not. I'm going to be politically. Sorry, Facebook. No. Uh, it is federal headship with the man. Uh, I guess you got to qualify that nowadays. Uh, but a man must keep it. If Jesus was merely God, I'm probably going to be off Facebook right now. Is, is Facebook still? <laughs> Sorry. If Jesus was merely God, he cannot be the second Adam, for it is legally bound to man. In order to fulfill this covenant, the parties must be God and man, not God and God. The covenant can't be made God and God because God doesn't need to be what? Saved. (laughs) God doesn't need to be delivered. God already worked and it was good. God has already set in the eternal Sabbath as an example for Adam. God is glorious. God is righteous. God is holy. God himself does not need saving. Man needs saving. Thus, man must fulfill the legal demands. But because man cannot endure the curse of God's wrath, because holiness is dangerous, and holiness is too dangerous, so no mere man could satisfy the judgment of God. And so Jesus had to be both man to keep the covenant, but he had to be God to endure the covenant. That by his Godhead, he might endure the eternal wrath of a holy God. So we need another of another kind who is man and God. We need a hypostatic union. Big fancy word, that's next week's doctrine. 
Lord's Day 6. We'll get there. We need Nicene Christianity. But for now, let us simply look at the true and righteous man who is also God, our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all of our sins with his precious blood and has delivered us through the valley of the shadow of death, is delivering us through the valley of the shadow of death. This is pilgrim theology. We belong to this age because we're here. We're part of this fallen world, but we don't belong here. We're mere pilgrims, we're mere exiles, longing for the city of God, that Pilgrim's Progress, what a wonderful story. I have one complaint with Pilgrim's Progress. The analogy would work better if it wasn't Pilgrim on his progress by himself. Pilgrim as a single individual, it should be the church progressing together, side by side, heading towards the city of God. That is Pilgrim theology, walking through the darkness. But Christ is there watching over us as we pass through this valley of the shadow of death because we belong to him. And we're only mill pilgrims here. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.